This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. What Brexit means for high-performance computing this week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for dialing into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell. And rather than my normal co-host, Michael Feldman, I'm joined by Andrew Jones, who heads up the HPC consulting business at Numerical Algorithms Group. Andrew, thanks for joining me as a guest on the podcast today. You're welcome, Addison. Thank you very much for inviting me to join you. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure, not only because uh, Michael's traveling uh, on the road this week, but because we had a topic that I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather talk to you about the, on this. We, Michael and I were already planning to uh, cover this, and I believe he's already interviewed you for an article to appear on top500.org. But Brexit, I was just in London uh, about a day after this vote. We were a couple of weeks after now, and, and it'd be interesting to think through what this means for high-performance computing. Yeah, I think that's true. It's a it's a big change potentially in the political situation of the UK, and that affects uh, funding for science. It affects the interactions of the researchers using the HPC's facilities with collaborators in Europe, and and maybe more. Well, you're actually in the UK and might have a more personalized view than I will. I've certainly done some research, talked to some people I know. There's no one I've talked to yet who basically goes, yay, Brexit, this is going to be the best thing for science. And you, and you find a fair amount of press, including a series on uh, science and Brexit, well, two separate series, one in The Guardian, one in Nature. Uh, both have, have really extensively covered the potential impacts on scientific research on Brexit, but I think as far as high-performance computing is concerned, it, it's maybe easiest to think through the individual funding mechanisms and, and how it might play out. And on the supercomputing side, I, I think the first one that people tend to think of with regards to supercomputing in Europe is PRACE. And you know, for me, this is one that I might be the least concerned about. What do you think about with PRACE and Brexit? So yes, so the UK is a member of PRACE. Um, we host uh, one of the PRACE facilities in Edinburgh. The funding for most of the large facilities comes directly from the member states rather than from um, any central European funding. Uh, the European Commission does fund the operation of the PRACE organisation itself. There is no obvious reason why the UK couldn't continue to remain a member of PRACE um, after leaving the European Union, we could be uh, could join as a as a bilateral partner within the Price organization. And in fact, there are already member states within Price that aren't formally part of the EU, including Norway and Switzerland, and and. Turkey, which is only partly a European country, and Israel, which isn't even really a European country at all, are, are all member states within PRACE that, that aren't part of the EU. And uh, as you were pointing out, that, that doesn't prohibit them from, from participating, the, the funding all coming from, from those states individually. Yes, that's right. Um, so let, let's maybe think about some of the other funding mechanisms. And here's where I think you see more concern is is where you get individual uh, systems or programs that are funded through, say, individual universities or companies. And here you start looking at things like the European Research Council or uh, the European Commission funding things directly. And there the story might be a little different. Is that right? Yes, potentially. So again, most of the HPC facilities uh, will be funded from institutional funds in one way or another, either uh, money from the UK government 
directly or indirectly through institutional funding um, or through, in, in the case of industry, through their own uh, corporate processes. Where the European funding tends to come into play is supporting the researchers who are using those facilities, funding their re uh, science programs, um, or funding some of the other activities at the HPC centres, um, such as the uh, research into future HPC technologies, uh, demonstrators, prototypes, that kind of thing. Yeah, when the Brexit talk really got going a year ago, there's a report that came out from uh, an organization called Global Council looking at the effect on uh, the potential effect on on Brexit in the UK and one section they were looking at in particular was in, in industrial policy where uh, this report which is uh, entitled Brexit the impact on the UK and the EU they were citing that uh, the UK is really a, a great beneficiary of the European Research Council. A direct quote from the report, the UK receives more funding from the European Research Council than any other country and 50% more than Germany, which is actually uh, the third biggest after uh, after France. So in theory, the, the UK starts having a hard time getting access to some of this money. Y yes, that's right. And, and so funding from... Uh, the European uh, agencies is quite significant proportion of the overall budget of some of the HPC centres and some of those user communities that are using the uh, HPC facilities uh, for exactly that reason. The, the UK investigators are very successful. And that's not even restricted just to academic research. There are a lot of industrial programs that benefit from this funding as well. The, the same uh, report from uh, Global Council says that uh, the primary industries benefiting from the European Research Council funding are automotive, aerospace, pharmaceuticals, and chemical engineering, which is uh, <laughs> exactly the spaces that use HPC the most on the industrial side. I guess not not counting finance, which is uh, the uh, another major commercial user that that wasn't uh, on the list here. Yes, I think you're right. All of those industries uh, benefit from either from direct uh, European funding or more often from collaborative European funding in partnership with um, academic researchers um, uh, or potentially partners in other European countries. Uh, and then with regards to the European Commission, the, the big program there to look at is Horizon 2020, which we've talked about on, on this podcast before. That's another big area of uh, of potential funding, right? Yes, Horizon 2020 is uh, another significant source of funding for um, researchers in the UK uh, who are looking to collaborate with partners across Europe. Again, this is mostly funding the users of the facilities or those who are researching HPC technology. Now, you've pointed out that you know we're, we're talking primarily about the users here. What about the vendors on this side? I, you represent one, right? I, I, how does this affect vendors that might be based in the UK, and who are we talking about here? Yeah, so that that's true, actually. There could be some um, interesting effects for the, the HPC uh, vendor space in the UK. Um, there aren't necessarily a lot of HPC vendors in the UK, but there are some. So um, the biggest and best known is probably ARM. Um, I suspect ARM is sufficiently big that this is not going to be a drastic thing for them. They'll, you know, they'll, they're already a multinational company. Um, and, yeah, and I don't they'll, see they'll this fine. having a big effect on ARM, really, uh, any more no, than it I would agree. affect Intel or anybody else. I agree with you there. 
Um, but then if you look at some of the other companies in the UK that are um, smaller companies, so you have um, some of the systems integrated companies such as OCF, you have some software companies like Alexis who do IO tools, um, Alinea who do performance tools, Right. You have uh, Isotope who do the calling. You have ourselves, NAG, who do HPC consulting. In theory, we might have significantly more constrained access to the European market um, after the Brexit goes through. And it's it's entirely unclear how that's going to affect us at the moment. And how about system vendors who have international bases in the UK? So that's an interesting one. Um, so an example would be Cray, who recently... Uh, set up their European headquarters in the UK, moving it from, I believe it was in Germany previously. Um, it is, um, it'll be interesting to see how that decision pans out as the UK decides to leave Europe. It may well be that the UK is still the most sensible home for an EMEA uh, Cray headquarters. Um, that may be because of the significant number of Cray customers in the UK. It may be because Amir is an organization or a geography that is larger than purely the EU anyways. Right. Now, it, just to talk about the flip side of this for a second, there is the point of view that a big thing that's driving Brexit is the idea that the UK's economy is stronger without the rest of Europe, right? Now, if you follow that all the way down, let's take that as for granted for a second as a hypothesis. In theory, you could say that, well, if the economy gets stronger as a result of Brexit, then really UK-based funding winds up replacing European-based funding. So although there might be some short-term glitches to iron out, is it possible that the, in the end there's more funding to go around? Uh, I think in theory that would take, yes, that's possible. It might take a long time because the the whole nature of Brexit has caused uh, uncertainty in the UK funding situation, even from, you know, just from the UK government. So I think there's an uncertainty effect there. There's a, you know, an economic dip overall in the country. It's going to constrain funding. But you're right. The Those who believe in um, the, the future of the UK as a standalone nation will argue that we're going to be stronger without European funding, without being involved in the European activities anyways. The thing that it might affect is... Um, UK researchers will choose collaborators on an international basis from anywhere in the world based on the collaborations they wish to undertake and the relative strengths of the partners rather than weighting those by whether they're in the European Union or not because of the you know the simplicity of funding of working with European partners. So in theory, collaboration, rather than getting more difficult, could wind up getting broader because there's not a bias to collaborate only with your, uh, your co-Europeans. Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's certainly a possibility. Um, the UK already has plenty of collaborations bilateral basis with places like the US and Japan and so on. Um, but maybe that kind of stuff broadens. And then finally, from my research, just to pop one more thing onto this, I, I couldn't find anything on the new Prime Minister, Theresa May, with regards to her positions on science in particular. Do you think that her own views on this have any particular bearing? That that's interesting because um, I was looking at that myself this afternoon as the various ministers were being named and um, put into place and the departments were being restructured. There is no obvious evidence of any history of her opinions on uh, science. However, the overall um, government that has been in place for the last few years uh, of of whatever colour 
um, whatever persuasion, political persuasion for the last decade or so, has been very, very supportive of science. And I think it's unlikely there's going to be a significant swing away from that. But um, I'm making wild speculation there. Well, that's what we do on This Week in HPC. We make wild speculations. And we, we it's something that I've enjoyed doing with you uh, at, at all the conferences I see you at. And there will probably be one soon at some point. You and I tend to overlap on our travel schedules. And if not before that, I'll certainly see you at Supercomputing, where I know you've got a couple of activities planned. Yes, we've uh, lucky enough to be invited to produce uh, to deliver two tutorials at Supercomputing this year. One is a uh, rerun of a tutorial we did a couple of years ago. It's very successful on uh, how to procure HPC systems. Um, and the other one is a new one, which is uh, perhaps more interesting to, to the kind of stuff you get involved in, which is, I think we've titled it the finance practice of HPC, but it's really about calculating total cost of ownership, the return on investment, the value you get out of HPC, and, and how you measure it. Well, my normal co-anchor, Michael Feldman, is fond of saying we'll have to see how it plays out in the weeks and months ahead. But in this case, I think it's going to take years before we really fully understand Brexit and, and its effects on HPC. But that doesn't really keep us from thinking about it now. Andrew, I appreciate you joining me today and giving me some of your thoughts. Uh, you're welcome for my wild speculation. <laughs> We've been talking to Andrew Jones, who heads up the HPC consulting business at Numerical Algorithms Group, and I'm Addison Snell. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.